This morning we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, verses 19 through 36. As we go through the book of John, we have to always keep in mind that he tells us why he wrote the book, and that the purpose John had was that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, or the Messiah. That's what he wanted everybody who read the book to get out of it. That we would know who Jesus was and that we would believe in him. And so we saw that in the introduction, the very beginning of the book. We also saw that he started out talking about the Word and explained that the Word is God and became man and, and was explaining, demonstrating, trying to, trying to communicate the magnitude of that statement, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the Apostle John wants us from the very beginning to understand this is a big deal. Nothing like this has been heard of or seen before. And then he introduces us to John the Baptist. John the Baptist had a message. And his message was one that pointed to the Word become flesh, pointed to Jesus and called people to believe in him. Okay? So John the Baptist had a message, and John the Baptist's message was just like John the Apostle's message that he's writing down. In other words, both of them had the same goal. John wrote the book much later than John the Baptist was giving his uh, preaching and teaching out in the wilderness and baptism. But they both had the same goal. And so what we see this morning is more of John the Baptist and how his ministry of preaching and baptism built up to point directly to Jesus at the end with the declaration, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This chapter, this you can't read John chapter 1 with any kind of understanding without being hit over and over again by the, the intensity of these statements. They are so sublime. They're so, they're so directly applicable to our lives. And they're so massive in their import. We're talking about God. We're talking about man. We're talking about sin. And we're just, we're just bringing it all together and giving the answers. Just one after another after another. You get the answers. And they are so huge for, for our lives. And so John the Baptist is out preaching and baptizing and he points to Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, 
who takes away the sin of the world. But the sad part is what we're going to see is that the glory of John the Baptist is completely missed by the Jewish leaders because they don't understand the glory of the one that John is pointing to. See, they misunderstand John. They misunderstand his baptism. They misunderstand Jesus. They don't understand John's baptism because they don't understand what it signifies. They don't understand his, his preaching because they don't understand the importance of what he's pointing to. Everything gets flipped up on its head. So we're going to see this. We must make sure that as we're reading the book of John, as we're studying the book of John, that we don't read it like the Pharisees read the Old Testament. That we don't have that kind of understanding of the Bible that they had. Because the consequences are that they did not receive the word. They did not receive the salvation of the Word become flesh, the Lamb of God. And so what we have to do is we have to have our expectations and our desires molded by the Word rather than the reverse. We don't bring our expectations and our desires in and try to find them in the Bible. Instead, we come to the Bible to find out what our desires and expectations ought to be. This is is ultimately the mistake of the Pharisees. They have their own preconceived notions that they're reading everything through, that they're understanding John's message through. And so... What that means is that when we come to God's Word, which we're about to read, we've got to make sure that we're seeking a proper understanding of the Word. Not simply what we want to hear. Seeking a proper understanding. Like the Bereans, with Paul preached to them, searched the Scriptures to see whether these things were so. Not searched the scriptures to prove that he was wrong. Not searched the scriptures to justify whatever it is that they wanted, that they had heard, that they wanted to believe. You see how tempting that is to go one direction or the other with that? Well, I don't like hearing that. I bet you I can find something that would disprove that. I can bet you I could find something that could be read to disprove that, right? Now, of course, this is never the way that the Pharisees would have spoken of what they're doing, all right? But if you pay close attention as we read this now, you will see that the Pharisees were coming into their interaction with John the Baptist with their own desires dictating what the Old Testament meant. Their own desires were dictating what it meant. 
So please stand for the reading of God's Word from John chapter 1. We'll read verses 19 through 36. John 1, 19 through 36. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you, so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing, if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The Pharisees want to know who John is. His response is basically, I'm nobody. I'm, I am nobody. I am a nobody. I am the nobody. I'm nobody. I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. And I'm not the prophet. They said, well, then why are you acting like somebody important? That's really what the, the, the gist of the, of the flow is here. Okay? Only somebody important could be baptizing like you are. So they understood there was some import to this baptism thing. right? They understood that there had to be a, uh, a heavenly command for this sort of thing.
why are you acting like somebody important by baptizing? And his response is, look, the Lamb of God. That's his response. Okay? Now, why? Well, because the whole time what John is trying to do is drive home how important the Lamb of God is in comparison with himself. He's nobody. Right? He's nobody. Now, I want to take a second here, and I want to explain this response when he says, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah, and I'm not the prophet. Why did he say he wasn't Elijah when Jesus says that he was? Matthew eleven thirteen 13 to 15, Jesus is speaking. And he says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, if you are willing to accept it is not a statement of relativity, right? If you are willing to accept it, then he is John. And this is more like the statement of, that we have, if you can believe it, You know, we were driving down the road, and then, if you can believe it, the car in front of us exploded into a fireball. Well, whether that happened or not is not a question that is dependent on whether you believe it, right? It happened or it didn't. The only question is, will you believe it? And so that's what Jesus is saying. And if you can accept it, If you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. So why does John say, I'm not Elijah, and Jesus says, he is Elijah who was to come? Well, the reason John says that is because when the Pharisees ask him if he's Elijah, they're asking a different question. They're basing their, their entire questioning of him on their wrong understanding of the Old Testament. Okay? With their wrong understanding of the Old Testament, they expect Elijah to come up from the grave, or no, no, Elijah was taken into heaven. So they expect Elijah to come back in physical bodily form out of heaven, okay? And to begin to prepare the way for the Messiah... And the Messiah who was to come was to restore the kingdom to their power. So we've got to keep in mind that John understands what their thoughts are. John knows what their teaching is. John knows what their desires are. John knows how they're reading the Old Testament. And so when he, they say, are you Elijah? He says, no. And he doesn't go into a long explanation of, well, I am Elijah spiritually. I am the, the prophet sent before the Lord. I am... No, he's just going off of, as you understand it, no, that's not me. 
Behold, here is what is important, the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. Now right there, do you understand how different that is from what they wanted to, to receive? They were not looking for a Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. They were looking for the return of the King that would give them power and authority, that would overthrow the Roman rule. Right? This is their desire. Their desire is not somebody to take away their sins and the sins of the world. And so what John's response to them is tailored to do is to obliterate their whole expectation and desire worldview that they're imposing on the Old Testament. They're imposing it on the prophet that's to come before the Lord. They're imposing it on Elijah who comes before the Lord. They're imposing it on the Messiah. And so John's whole goal is, no, no, no. Look. This is the Lamb of God. He has come to take away the sins of the world. He's the Messiah. And so, as I said before, John the Baptist's goal, as we see it here, is exactly the same as the author of the book of John, John the Apostle, that people would believe in Jesus and be saved from their sins. So the Pharisees have made three mistakes. The first is that they make John important rather than his message. Okay, you see that? They want to know who John is. They don't want to know what John is saying. They want to know who John is. Who is John? John is a man sent by God to bring them a message. The messenger is nobody. The message is everything. The messenger is a nobody. The message is what matters. But they want to make a big deal out of who the messenger is. The second mistake that they make is they make baptism important rather than its purpose. How do we see that? Well, they say, well, if you're nobody important, why are you baptizing? Rather than seeking to understand what the baptism is for. Okay? Now, what is baptism? What is its purpose? Well, it's a sign for the spiritual, it's a physical sign for the spiritual washing that only happens by faith in Jesus. 
Do you understand? That spiritual washing only happens by faith in Jesus. And that's why his message is believe, repent, turn away from your sin and look to the Savior that will take away your sin. Be washed of your sin. Be cleansed of your sin. Being cleansed is not something that the Jews were unfamiliar with. If you go back and you start looking through the Old Testament law, the ceremonial law had tons and tons of requirements that included washing. Right? So they understood the need for things that had been unclean to be made clean through washing. And so this is baptism. We who are unclean are made clean through the water of washing, the, the, the waters of baptism, the washing away of our sins. Right? And so when John baptized, John was performing a Christian baptism. Okay? John was performing Christian baptism. The people who came to John and received baptism received a Christian baptism. They were receiving baptism, and the call was what? One of faith in the Messiah. To have their sins cleansed by believing in the Messiah. This is true regardless of those who were baptized before or after Jesus' name was named as the Messiah. Okay? Because everybody who was there was clear on John's message. His message was, one of repentance and faith in the Messiah. Who is he? I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. And so the people who came and were baptized, were putting their faith in the Messiah. This is so important because this is what the Pharisees were rejecting. They were rejecting Christian baptism. Even before Jesus was named as the one, they were unwilling to be washed in repentance, by faith. Do you see? And when they did come, they came hypocritically. And John says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath that is to come? And so, <clears throat> their misunderstanding of John and his baptism is central here. Central to what's going on in this in this text. 
Most fatally, though, the error of the Pharisees is that because of these previous two errors, making John important rather than his message, making the baptism important rather than its purpose, okay, because of those two previous errors, they fail to believe in Jesus. They fail to believe in Jesus. John says in verse 31, So that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. Speaking of Jesus. So that he might be manifested to Israel, declared, made plain, so that the Messiah might be seen in Israel, I came baptizing. He was sent, right? It was not the decision that he made. What he's telling us is why he was sent. Why was he sent? Well, he was sent to baptize in order that the Messiah might be declared, might be manifested, might be made known to Israel. The baptisms, the message, the call to repentance were all so that Jesus could be put on display. Everything that John is doing and saying is what? it, It lines up with the whole purpose of the book. So that people would see Jesus and that they would believe in his name and have life, right? It's the same with John the Baptist. Everything that he's doing, he's he's trying to turn their attention away from him, away from the ceremony of what's going on, away from the physical to the spiritual and say, the Savior, look, behold, look, look, look. This is the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. But they missed it. They didn't get it when he said, I'm nobody. They didn't get it when he said, I came baptizing so that you would see the Messiah. They didn't get it when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They didn't get it. Now, we tend to make similar errors as the Pharisees. We tend to come to the Word of God with particular desires, particular things that we have expectations about, that we want to see happen, Okay, And it will mess with your theology. It will cause you to misunderstand God's word and to miss the big picture, the purpose of what you're reading, and instead to cause you to simply see whatever you want to see. And often the way that happens is by focusing on the outward rather than the spiritual reality. 
Baptism is a big temptation still today. Were all of the people that came to be baptized by John, did all of them live by faith? Are all of those people that came to John the Baptist and got baptized in heaven? No. No, absolutely not. Why is that important? Well, it's important because baptism is still today very tempting for us to make it into more than it really is. What do we see in this passage? What we see is that if we want to make baptism into a guarantee, then we will miss the purpose of baptism. All right? Because we will ignore the necessity of inward faith. Jesus is the Lamb of God. What does that have to do with baptism? Well, it's the blood of the Lamb that was slain that washes away our sins. Without that washing, the washing of the water of baptism is meaningless. It truly is an empty symbol at that point. Unless the baptism of our flesh is met with the baptism of our spirit, the washing away of our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ, the water is simply a mockery. But when they are brought together, when true faith meets baptism, then the baptism does what? It declares the Lamb of God. And this is why we're so eager to make baptism into something more than it is. All right? Because we want that spiritual reality. We want that guarantee that our children will end up in God's kingdom receiving his blessing. And so we are tempted to look at baptism, and this this goes for whether or not you're a Baptist or a Presbyterian, whether you're credo or pedo-baptist, okay? When you make 
the baptism, that washing, into something more than it is, when you want to attach more significance to that act than to the question of faith, whether it has met that act and been united with that act, okay, then what you have done is the exact same thing that the Pharisees do in this passage. They miss the entire point. John's baptism was Christian baptism. He was sent to perform those baptisms so that Christ would be manifest to Israel. So what does this mean for us? <clears throat> well, we, we can't look to baptism as some sort of guarantee that now our children are in God's kingdom. Okay? God has promised that he will be a God to us and to our children. This is a wonderful promise. All right? Now, put your hope in that promise. Believe that promise. Do not be afraid. And do not put your hope in the outward sign. Whether that outward sign is given at a young age or later on when they declare themselves to be of faith doesn't make an ounce of difference in the temptation for us to put our hope in that outward sign. You see? Oh, but they were baptized. Well, but I waited until they declared themselves to have faith to have them baptized. Well, but I didn't wait. I, I claimed it by faith and had them baptized young before they could understand. Well, it doesn't matter. Are you putting your hope in that baptism, or are you looking for them to have faith? Well, baptism is just one of the ways that we can make the same error as the Pharisees. All right. Uh, if you think about what the Pharisees wanted out of uh, God's promises in the Old Testament, they had made it all into a... Um, They'd made it into all earthly blessing. And so, setting aside the spiritual, they were looking at the earthly blessing and saying, okay, well, what would earthly blessing look like here and now? Well, I think earthly blessing would look like having these Romans go fly a kite. Right? I think earthly blessing would look like us being able to be 
prosperous enough to, uh, and powerful enough to have things look like they did when Solomon was around. Now that was, those were the days. And so they look back at those days of Solomon, and they ignore the fact that the sin that came out of Solomon's reign at the end of his life led to the destruction of the kingdom, right? And they want to return to that. Now, what do we want here today? Well, an awful lot of the time, what we want is that same level of physical blessing. We look at the kingdom of America, right? The great United States, and we have some sort of idea that what we want to see accomplished is we want to see this this country made into a great Christian nation again. Okay, well, good. Now, what does that mean to you? Are you bringing your expectations to the Word of God, or are you letting your expectations be conformed and molded by the Word of God? A lot of the time, what we end up doing is we end up simply having the same sort of physical ideas of blessing. Well, I want people to repent, yes. I mean, because I don't want our nation to fall apart and for my kids to have to grow up without any money and without any protection and under persecution. Right? Is that the, is that the order that things are going in here? Is this our goal over here? Is our goal that we would have physical, earthly safety, pleasure, and security. No. And so, if you're filtering everything through the funnel of that being your ultimate goal, you are going to be very messed up by the time you get to something happening where there's a choice of what it should look like, of what, it, what your ex. What, you're, what you think should happen. So repentance ends up looking like um, whatever it is that would make you feel safe right here and now. Well, that's not our nation repenting. Okay? That's not seeking the things of God. That's seeking the things of this world, of this earth. When Jesus is tempted, Satan promises him the earth, the world, and all it contains. Is that what you're going for? Is that what you want for yourself and for your children? Jesus actually owns the earth, the world, and all it contains. 
And he's promised it to us. But not in the context of that being what we're seeking. There's so many ways for us to take good things and to make them the, the important thing somehow. All right? The important thing is not that you end up safe and healthy and wealthy, or that your children end up doubly so. That is not the important thing. That is a good thing that is a consequence that flows out of God's promises that, that ultimately is not nearly as important as us having the kingdom of God. And this is why Jesus in his parables always is going on and on about the kingdom of God and its value. The kingdom of God is like a pearl. It's like a treasure buried in the ground. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is what we're seeking. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. The Pharisees look at John and they make John the important thing. They look at the baptism and they're like, well, what is this baptism that you're doing? We can do the same thing with the church that they did with the kingdom of Israel. The nation of Israel. Look, our concern is not that our church would be honored. Not that I somehow would be recognized for my greatness in whatever it is that you think is great that I do. If there's anything. The point is that I'm nobody, that this church is nothing. The point is that Christ be manifested as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so everything that we do has that as its goal. Just like everything that John writes, everything that John the Baptist said had that as its goal. That Jesus Christ would be manifested made clear. And so when we make much of ourselves, we're doing exactly the opposite of what John the Baptist did. He made little of himself and much of the message, right? When you're talking to people and they begin to praise you, these are people who don't believe, that don't have faith, and they start to say such great things about you. This is one of the ways that Satan destroys the message. Okay? John is saying, no. I'm nobody. Do you see that? John's response is, no, I'm not. No, I'm nobody. 
And so they say of you, well, you're such a, such a good person. You do all these wonderful good things. You go to church every week, and you've got this and that, and you've got your kids, and they're so, they're so obedient. You must discipline them so wonderfully, and on and on, and all the wonderful things that people can say about you and say to make it clear how good you are. And what's their purpose in saying that about you? Well, typically, it's so that they can have an excuse not to repent. They're trying to make a difference between you and them. Well, yeah, but you're one of those good people. And they couch it in praise, right? Have you ever experienced this? Your life is declaring the glory of God. Your life, your, your obedience is difficult. It's hard. There's suffering. And then somebody looks and says, your life. What is it? And you say, God is glorified. You say, God is... Got problems out there. Somebody's kid isn't obedient. <laughs> but, but we're hearing, you know, we're, we're, they're seeing our life. They're recognizing what's going on, that there's something different, right? And then what do they want to do? They want to say, oh, it's because you're good. And what do we have to say there? We have to say what John said. No, I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. I'm not some... I'm not some good person. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's our message. And so when they start focusing on the outward results, we say, no. I'm nobody. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He came to take away the sins of the world. The only reason there's anything good in me, the only reason I have any message to proclaim, the only reason I've been sent, the only reason that you have to listen to anything I say is because Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the whole goal of you having that conversation with them is what? It's so that they might believe. That's what John's goal is. That's what John the Baptist's goal is. That's what our goal is. So that they might believe. So we have to look at this life through eyes filtered by the Bible. Not look at the Bible through eyes filtered by this life. 
We have to look at the spiritual reality. Not just the outward signs. And we have to make the message, the point, the entirety. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the more you have in your mind the absolute fantastic nature of that statement, the more you understand how astounding that is, the more you dwell on the nature of Jesus Christ and his holiness and his obedience and his death of what it means that he's a lamb and that our sins can be taken away, all right, the, the, the deeper you understand that, the more clear your message will become. All of the cares, all of the distractions, all of the fears, they, get, they just get sliced. Everything slices to one side or the other, and you're left with this razor-sharp point. Behold. Look at the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. Can there be any greater message? Can there be anything more important to talk about? Can we really get turned aside into talking about ourselves and our lives and what we've done right and wrong when we've got Jesus to declare? John the Baptist was on mission. He was on target. He knew what he had to say. He was focused on saying it. And nothing could distract him from communicating it. You know how sometimes kids get in that mode of they're going to say it. They're going to get it out, but it's not important. That's what we need to be like, except with the important message. Yeah, 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 that's great. Whatever. Listen. You don't understand. You've missed the point. The point isn't me, the point isn't you, the point isn't the good things that I have or haven't done. You don't have any idea who I am. I'm nobody. Jesus is 
Christ, the Lamb of God. He's come to take away the sins of the world. Do you believe that? That's the only that's the only point that my life has left. I used to be concerned about a lot of other things. Now that's the only thing I'm concerned about. Jesus is the Christ, the Lamb of God. Look at him. He's come to take away the sins of the world. Do you understand that? The sins of the world. Well, yeah, there's a lot of bad people out there. No, you're not understanding it. You look. Have you seen him? All I'm trying to do is exhibit him, to declare him, to show him. This is why I seek to obey. This is why I got baptized. This is why I discipline my children. This is why I work hard. This is why, this is why, this is why my life is what it is. Do not get distracted by the light. Look at the message. This is our message. And so let's go out from here today declaring that message. Nothing else. We've got it in our minds. We know what we're doing. We can't get turned to the left or to the right. Our lives give him the glory. Let's pray.